welcome to Trust the Journey. And our next episode of the Conscious Connection series with yours truly, Melanie Curtis. Our mission remains the same. It's to live, laugh, love, and learn together with you, all of you listening. We're here to create conscious connections, to grow and contribute through our practice of openness, honesty, vulnerability, humility, and trust, trusting the entire journey. So today is episode number four in the Conscious Connection series, like I mentioned where I interview other radiant, beautiful beings in this big, giant, ridiculous universe, you know, people that are creating and seeking and contributing in their own ways. So if you want to connect with us via the Trust the Journey platform, go to trusttheturney.today. That's our website and our Instagram. We have a Patreon page where you can support us. The Patreon supporters really make this show possible. So go to the website, scroll down, donate in any amount, and we'll let you into that private Facebook group where we expand the conversation and support of each other and all of those things. If you want to connect with me directly, just go to melaniecurtis.com and that's got all the things that you need. So right on family, let's go into this today. Today, we are welcoming, lucky enough to welcome Nicole Smith Ludwig. And because Trust the Journey is meant to give our guests the space to rest easy and share more freely and just be the beautiful humans there are they are i'm going to share nicole's bio so that everyone listening can get a sense for how much she's accomplished a little bit about her and it'll give us a solid jumping off point for our conversation so here we go in emirates airlines most recent viral ad campaign nicole smith ludwig first came to the international to international attention when she appeared standing atop the world's tallest building the burj khalifa i'm sure a lot of people have seen that Nicole is a well is as well-rounded as she is fearless with an impressive resume, including a successful corporate career, professional skydiver, yoga instructor, social media influencer, stunt woman, and all-around adventurer. Smith Ludwig holds the record for the youngest person ever to skydive in all 50 United States and has been invited to speak at various events. Nicole is featured on podcasts, global publications, including Forbes, CNN, Travel, Gulf News, Live on Sky News, Newsweek, Entrepreneur Magazine, Daily Mail, and Board Panda, among others. Nicole often talks about unexpected personal life traumas she's faced and how perseverance, determination, and drive are responsible for her success. She is courageous, authentic, and inspiring to many. I agree. With her unique life story, Nicole easily forms connections with people from all over the globe. Whether she's speaking, teaching, or jumping out of a plane, she does it with an immense amount of enthusiasm and professionalism. When she's not exploring her daredevilness, Nicole usually spends time with her loving husband, friends, and family. That is a bio and booyah, that's a bio in my experience. And I'm so, uh, so thrilled to welcome you, Nicole. In my experience, Nicole is, is a brave, beautiful woman and a, someone I am truly grateful to call my friend and just get to share any part of this path of growth that we're all on. And so, Nicole, welcome. I'm thrilled that you are here. Thanks, Mel. I'm so happy to be on this journey with you. And thanks for having me on your podcast. And by the way, I have just finished up your Audible book. 
And I'm, I love it. That was just such an amazing journey with you as you progressed in your skydiving career. And uh, I I I loved you before, but I love you even more now. (laughs) Oh God. I did not tell her to say that everyone. (laughs) Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. Seriously. So much. It's, um, it was a, yeah, God, I've said a lot about the book on the podcast, but it's like, it was a true like passion project. It was needed to be in the world. And so I, I almost want to start, it's easy. We could easily start at the big, the big stuff. And I think that's kind of where we should start because I don't know, I feel like we want to, I want to hear that story first because on the top end, you know, as a keynote, as a consultant, you know, I talk a lot about peak performance and how do people do those things? Like, and there's so much we can learn and so much we can get from those big outlier moments and like the curiosity around producing outlier results. Like how do, how do you do that type of stuff? And so you're obviously well-known for the stunt standing on top of the Burj Khalifa and which as noted in the bio tallest building in the world. And like I said, we'll dive into your personal story for sure after this, but I want to start there. Like, how did you do that incredible, (laughs) crazy, awesome stunt? How did I do the crazy, awesome stunt of standing on top of the Burj Khalifa? Well, there's a whole lot of that goes into it. It's kind of like the the layers of an onion, I think. But ultimately, how did I get there? I climbed. It was 700 feet up a very tall spire in a, a space barely wider than a manhole cover, if you can imagine. Um, And it was, God, it was, it was hot. It was so hot. And I had to do that in full makeup with my hair. Perfect. And it had to stay that way. I couldn't sweat my makeup off. So it was, it was an interesting adventure to climb to the top of that building. But ultimately that's how I did it. Just hand over hand. Literally. After another. Yeah. Until I got to the top of that building. What did it take mentally? You know, cause that's, I mean, I almost hear that and I go, oh my God, was that claustrophobic? Like what, what did you face mentally? Like, were there any hurdles? Maybe you were just psyched the whole time. Like what was, what was the mental experience like? I was so excited about the, the one, I'm the only woman that has ever been to the top of the Burj Khalifa. So, so that for me was a really incredible experience. Just, you know, knowing that I am the only one that's done that. So it was, that was just so rewarding and it was so humbling at the same time. But I wasn't, there wasn't really a sense of claustrophobia more than anything. There was just this worry of, I have to make sure that I stay, that my presentation is, stays like it is in order to to do the the, the stunt because my makeup artist told me flat out, she goes, Nicole, there's no way I'm climbing up there with you to touch you up. So you're on your own here, kid. I'm like, okay. So, so that was it. It was just that I can't sweat my makeup off. keep climbing (laughs) yeah well and it is something right with as a stunt person the the job that I parallels I mean I've done nothing like that but I've done high fall stunts and it was like when I I fell off this 40 foot scaffolding and you have to like you were mentioning oh you have to have a presentation so when the drone is up there or when the plane flies by right you have to be looking the right right way you can't be like 
picking your nose or, <laughs> you know, even just like looking bored or whatever right. you have to be looking the part. Exactly. And so, yeah, like me hitting the bag, I had to have a smile on my face when I hit the 40 foot, you know, the big yeah. airbag below me. So that makes a lot of sense. I mean, what goes into, I mean, is that a skill you had to build or is that just like mental prep before each job? Is it different or is that something that's, you know what I mean? Like what goes into even that skill set? That's an, that's an interesting question. So for me, it's it's all about mindfulness. So understanding that there is a, a task at hand, right? I know that I have to be ready to, that when they're shooting, that I have to, that presentation has to be there. So for me, it was just a matter of guiding myself mentally. And and, and I, I try to focus whatever the emotion may be. So in this case, it had to be cool, calm, peacefulness um, in, in that. So where my mind went was to my grandmother's kitchen. Oh. Like imagining that I'm cooking a Thanksgiving meal with my mom and my grandmother. Oh. So, so that's where my mind was. So when you see that girl standing on the top of the Burj Khalifa with not a care in the world, I'm thinking about making cake. Oh. <laughs> girl, that is powerful Thanks. to think of how, how strong the mind is that it can absolutely transport us absolutely. to an emotional place that we want to connect to. That's exactly right. You know, oh, it's beautiful. I, I mean, that's actually was the next thing I wanted to even ask you was about your childhood, you know, do the whole, this is what just happened. This has happened. This is today. And then what's the other extreme? And I, I know, I don't know if you want to share more about your grandmother, but I would welcome you to share what, what was it like growing up? You know, what were you like as a young person? How was that experience? What was I like growing up? I was a handful, according to my mother. Uh, <laughs> I believe it. <laughs> I was a daredevil. So there was, you know, and I grew up in a really tiny town in Northeast Georgia called Cleveland. And if you, you and I are about the same age, do you remember the Cabbage Patch Kids? Oh, yeah. Oh, it's yeah. the only thing that put my hometown on the map. Like to this day, there's less than 5,000 people in the city limit. So it's still a very, very small town. And um, my my grandfather was a Baptist minister for 50 years. My family's been there for generations. So there was no anonymity. I couldn't yep. get away with anything. Mm -hmm. So that was uh, an interesting experience, which made me a bit more clever in okay. whatever shenanigans I found myself in. Um, <laughs> I'm old enough. I can talk about that now without worrying about getting in trouble. Like not getting in trouble. I can talk about my shenanigans. Um, so, so that was it. I was the kid that was whitewater rafting. I loved to hike. We were very close to the very beginning of the Appalachian Trail. So being in the mountains was cool. something I loved doing. Um, I was a kid climbing as high as I could in the trees at my grandparents. So that was that was me. I was an okay student, um, but I had an amazing work ethic. And that was something that was kind of drilled into me as a kid, you know, work ethic and, and, and working hard and investing and saving. So yeah, that's, that's being in a nutshell. How do you see the work ethic expand? Like, where do you see that at play in your life now? Like, how did that manifest? Well, it manifested in some really interesting ways. You know, when I was younger, when I was in my late teens and my early twenties, for me, it was the work as hard as you can, save as much money as you can and retire early. And I learned some really hard lessons along the way that, you know, that still parallel with those fundamentals, but it's also shifted in that 
you can't just work hard and invest and expect to be able to enjoy the things that you're doing right now. Later on in life, you might not get that chance. Right. So now there's this really interesting balance for me of working hard and investing not only in my future, but also investing more in myself mm. right now in the present. And that's just that just creates a really great, well-rounded approach to life. You know, that's uh, how can I avoid burnout? How can I keep doing the things that I'm incredibly passionate about, but not overdoing it to the point of exhaustion? Yeah. Yeah. So, that's huge. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Investing in myself in the present. I mean, yeah. that that nugget alone is really powerful, especially for those of us who grew up with the work hard, work hard now, like play yeah. later, like the work hard, play later yes. mindset versus work hard, play hard is a different frame. Work hard, play later is can so often met, like metastasize almost into work hard, never play. Exactly. Because the work's never done. Exactly. And that only breeds regret mm -hmm. and disappointment later on in life. Absolutely. Well, so you're a professional skydiver also on top of, yeah. you know, being a stunt woman <laughs> and all these other things. Um, I'm curious, how, how did you find skydiving? So I, like I said, I had always had a flair for the adventurous and I grew up really close to an airport community. So there were summer days where I would just find myself laying in the field, looking up at the sky, watching these little airplanes fly around and wondering what it would be like to jump out of an airplane. Wow. And I got married when I was in my early 20s and my husband for my 23rd birthday bought me a tandem skydive at Skydive Georgia. <laughs> and we went there. And I did my first job. Junior Ludwig was my first tandem instructor. We're married now. And <laughs> Noah Bonson was my video guy. So I had a really awesome introduction to uh, skydiving. And so you, but so, so you found it. And then yeah. how did, how does that then become you're a pro? Like, ah. you know what I mean? Like, where did you, that, that's a big jump. You know, so there's like some curiosity and going, if we're talking about, okay, you've done all these amazing things. Well, how is that accessible? You know what sure. I mean? Like, so you're, you go and you do a tandem and then what happened? So I had a corporate career. I was really successful. You, you said this in, in the introduction, mm -hmm. the bio. Uh, and this is one of the lessons that I learned as, you know, I, I, I was working hard. I was managing at one point in my, my corporate career, a group of about a hundred employees. I had 17 multi-state locations. Uh, we produced about $13 million in revenue each year. So, so that's where I was in my life. I was working 60, 70, 80 hours a week, just grinding, trying to, to make this profession you know, my retirement plan. And yeah. I had some tragic things happen in my life that made me completely reevaluate what I thought was important. And mm -hmm. was in a, a really tragic car accident in 2011 that just shifted my mindset. This saving and investing and working, like I'm going to you know, retire at 40, nearly came to a screeching halt. So in 2011, I quit my corporate job and, and, decided to pursue a life of professional skydiving. And that's what got me to where I am today. Well, so base, so I, there's no way I can just let that, <laughs> like there's so much there that I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. I gotta, I gotta ask like eight, 18 more things. Um, you mentioned like what, what you learned. I, I, 
when you were in the tragic car accident, can you tell us more about, I mean, not necessarily what that was per se, but what was it? How did the shift come on you? You know what I mean? Was it instant? Did you instantly just be like, fuck this? I'm I'm not doing that. Like, what was the process of having that realization that came from that experience that then led you to change your your path? That's a really great question. So um, where it all kind of came to a head. So I, in this accident, I was dating a man who was killed in the accident, which mm-hmm. was basically on impact. And I had a laundry list of injuries that included a, a broken neck, a broken back, two broken ribs. My pelvis was broken in four places. I had a collapsed lung. Holy My tailbone was broken. And I also had traumatic brain injuries. And where things started to shift for me was the very first day of physical therapy. And this is a day that will forever be burned into my mind because it really was it was a, a mental shift mm-hmm. when I I was on the treadmill walking on the slowest setting at a half a mile an hour. And I remember gripping the rails to this treadmill so tightly that my knuckles were white. Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, and it's something that when that happened, it was just this level of self-pity and, and this this just this. I don't know, this sadness that kind of came over me. And, and I had so many regrets Mm. filling my mind. Like, you know, at this point I was in my, my late twenties and I nearly died and had this checklist of things that I hadn't done in my life. I wanted to travel, but I was putting my travel off until I retired. I wanted to, to pursue these different goals and these different ambitions, but I didn't because I expected to have the time later on in my life to do that. You know, and one thing I wanted to do was skydive all 50 states. That's something that was funny enough, a goal that I made back in 2010, before I even became a a licensed skydiver. And as I'm going through this recovery process and, and learning how to walk again and rebuilding my, my life, I, I, I decided at that point that I'm not going to live like I'm going to live forever. I'm going to live like I could die tomorrow. And that's when I'm going to start, you know, that I started pursuing my dreams and my ambitions with a passion that I can't even quantify. Yeah. So that's where that shift happened. You know, it's that because that is such a powerful thing, like the fact that you had an experience that it sounds like it catapulted you into this motivation, this level of motivation, this mindset shift. And correct me if I'm wrong, if I'm saying anything that's not accurate, definitely correct me. It makes me wonder how do you, how would you guess other people could access that not having a traumatic life event? You know, do you think there's a way or do you think that's not even possible? Like, what is, what are your thoughts on that? Oh, I've never been asked this question before, Mel. Yeah, that's a I, really great question. I'm, yeah, I don't know either, but. It is, I don't, I really don't know because it took something so incredibly traumatic for me for that to be a tangible thought. Mm-hmm. And I know that, you know, people say live life to your fullest. And that's one of the cliches, the carpe diem that, you know, that it's such a cliche, but. 
but the actualization of it is we aren't guaranteed a second on this planet. So I truly believe that people can access that, that vigorous need to live. If that thought becomes tangible Yeah, and it doesn't necessarily, I don't think it would take the pain that I've experienced on that level, but it maybe it would just take a level of, of empathy as well uh, and understanding that. But once that, once that idea is tangible for someone, I believe they can access. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And that's, I think that's the interesting question. Because I'm, I'm always thinking when we have these talks, obviously just hearing people's stories are inspiring enough. I'm always very curious about how do other people access it such that we're providing value? Not that that needs to even happen. You know, like we can just, you know what I'm saying? Even just talking is a value to people. I believe that deeply Um, as the growth minded person, the wildly growth minded, rigorous growth minded person that I am. I'm always like, oh, how how could someone else do that? Because that's fucking dope. You know what I mean? (laughs) And uh, I think it's even just wonderful to contemplate regret, even though it's uncomfortable to think about. But it's a powerful word. It's a powerful word to think about the things that motivate our choices, which where they come from, who knows, doesn't matter, not judgment, judging them good or bad. You had this corporate thing and you're like, this is, this is the thing. This is what you were taught. This is what you learned. Same thing. I was in investment banking for five years of my life. And the only reason I shifted was because I just was obsessed, wildly, passionately obsessed with skydiving. It just, but even then I still worked in corporate for five years and duh. And it took many years for me to even get a sense for there's a possibility of life outside of the traditional path. You know what I mean? Like, and so that makes me want to ask more about your professional skydiving path. Like, what does that even look like to you? Like, what is your, what does your work life look like now? Your, I mean, I guess your whole whole life, you know, what's your lifestyle like now that you are on an, an, a traditional path? So I am a tandem instructor, an accelerated free fall instructor. I'm a coach evaluator working on my coach examiner rating. So this is what my day-to-day looks like, right? Being able to teach and instruct and help students to grow in skydiving. I'm also a, a pro-rated skydiver too, like you. So, you know, doing demonstrations and high profile stuff is something that I'm incredibly passionate about. So that's that's what my everyday looks like in terms of skydiving. Cool. And I know you're doing more speaking and you're you're starting to do more motivational stuff and that that's true, right? It is. Yeah. I'm an aspiring motivational speaker. It is, it is truly my life's ambition to, to be a, a, a pro speaker. Well, you have certainly have the stories. I mean, and not to, this sounds like such a sideways move, but I kind of want to go back to the tough stuff because there's so much juice in the tough stuff like having a tragic car accident where your person dies like how do you deal with the grief of that like what was that like like what how did you move through grief that's um so moving through grief so so I have to back up a bit more because it was it was it was two really tragic things that happened in my life so my late husband passed away in January, 2010. And there was a whole year of my life where it was 
of reacclimation in a sense of trying to find who I was. I dealt with grief. Um, I actually, so you were grieving the loss of your husband. Yeah. Before and then the tragic car accident happened. Wow. A year and a half later. Yeah. So it was two, two wow. tragic things that happened back to back in my life. And, and when I lost my husband, it was, it was really, it was a, it was a crazy experience because I mean, first of all, that was back in 2010, social media isn't what it was mm-hmm. today. The, the, the support groups for young widows didn't really exist. Mm-hmm. And it's really a topic that you didn't hear a lot about. So there was a lot of struggle with that for me, for, from a vulnerability standpoint, yeah. you know, I just, I put so much pressure on myself to, to stay strong, to, to not fall apart. And it certainly, I really battled when people would say things to me, like, you're so young, I, you shouldn't have to go through any, anything like this. I feel so sorry for you. And while I know that what they were saying was well-intentioned, it was something that just added more pressure to mm-hmm. me to want to stay strong. It was that facade, if I'm strong, then then no one is going to feel this pity for me. So I, I really, there was a lot of pressure there and yeah. that was, that made working through the grief even more challenging because you have that aspect and you've got to cut through all of that stuff before you can even begin the emotional work of, of dealing with, with loss. So I had um, a really, I had some good grief counselors that kind of helped me navigate things for a while. And then um, when that car accident happened, so that was January 2010 when my husband passed. And then in June 2011 is when the car accident happened. And and I was at the point where it's going to sound so weird, but having the experience of dealing with grief in that capacity, it's not that it made it easier because that's not the right way to say it, but it, but it was easier to access the emotions. It was easier to access the truthfulness Mm -hmm. in what I was experiencing. And it was also easier for me to talk about. So it was something that just kind of progressively got easier for me to be more vulnerable, to be able to speak about it. Because I believe when you can speak about something that it takes its power away, right? It takes the control that that has instead of keeping it internalized. Mm -hmm. So, so that was, um, so it, it, it's just been, um, the whole process has been a really, really interesting experience on my perception of, of grief and, and how to overcome tragedy. Well, yeah. How to move through it. I mean, again, like I think just hearing your story is huge. You hear the touch point of at that time, maybe there was less awareness around this topic. There was less support available or different avenues of support were not available, like the support group type thing. But luckily you had grief counselors that, that thread of, of simply choosing to take any version of support is really amazing. Plus the the pain of the mindset. That's another thing that I feel like I see strongly in in that share is the mindset of I need to stay strong for any whatever reason, even if you knew I'm broken inside, I need to cry or whatever, but to avoid a, a bigger pain. And also just that share, I feel like is probably really useful for anybody who's with someone who is grieving or loves someone who is grieving to simply allow 
and hold space for the feelings and not bring any sense of pity, but just love and, and openness showing up. I mean, that's what I feel like I'm hearing and what it makes me think about. Sure. Yeah. That's incredibly important for, for me, it would, the things that have have found so useful is the, I see you. I, 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 though I don't understand, I'm here for you. And, you know, having that open communication and, and something else that I didn't mention, but I have an amazing family and really strong support of family, a really good church community to lean on as well. Wonderful. So those are all things that, that helped me in, in those transitional periods, but, you know, having, having, having real friends, you know, the people yeah. that aren't afraid to get in the muck with you is well, uh, really important. Oh. Ain't it the freaking yeah. truth, girl? Yeah. I I feel compelled to in this moment just to we were talking before we started recording about your grandmother and how she has recently transitioned. And I would love to hear you share more about her and your perception of of that. Cause it sounded I I was I was like, oh my God, stop talking, because this is just beautiful. Would you mind sharing more about that? Sure. So my grandmother is the embodiment of love. Mm. When I, when I think about her, there's not any time that I can think of where love has not been the center of, of what she has done. You know, she's, she was a woman. I had, and I have a picture of her uh, at, on my wedding day. And I think I shared it with you maybe, but she was a a discerning spirit she was someone who could read emotions really well and um i'll tell you i'll tell you a story and i feel like this story summarizes her so it was thanksgiving a couple of years ago my my the dish that my grandmother made that was my favorite was summer squash she would fry summer squash and it is a really simple process it is just slicing squash really thin and doing a a coating of flour and cornmeal, salt and pepper. That's it. And I have watched her make this so many times and I make it myself and it never tastes the same. And I finally just, (laughs) I had the nerve to ask her like, what gives? I'm like, I could take a half of the same squash that you're using. I could follow ounce by ounce what you're doing with the salt and the, the pepper and the flour and the cornmeal. I'll, I'll put it in the same bag. I'll shake it up. I'll use the same pan that you're using. You can stand here and watch me, but it's going to taste different. And I've, I asked her, I'm like, what gives? And she goes, you're missing one ingredient. I go, well, what do you mean I'm missing an ingredient? I've watched you. I can copy this, you know, exactly like you're doing it. She's like, you're missing an ingredient. And I'm like, stop speaking in riddles. What do you mean? And she goes, you're missing love. that's the difference between mine and yours. I love cooking for you. And that is what you taste. And I'm going to cry. I'm totally going to cry. (laughs) So that, that was her. And, you know, she, and the way I I like to describe her is she's kind of like Snow White. There was not, there was not a creature on this planet that she wouldn't feed. Yeah. Uh, She, you know, she, that was just her love language was food. And, and, uh, and yeah. And I, for the last, um, she was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer in March and I watched this wonderful, vibrant, loving, wholesome woman just 
practically deteriorate in front of my eyes. Their love always remained, but it was just, uh, it was a really challenging experience watching her as this happened. And, but I'm really, I'm really thankful that I got these last few months with her. And uh, one of the most beautiful things that I've ever experienced was holding her hand when she took her last breath and knowing that in that moment, that all of that pain that she had experienced was gone and that she was able to find peace. So I'm happy. I'm so happy that I was fortunate enough to have her in my life for almost 38 years. I can't imagine the person I would be without the support that she gave me. Oh my God. Thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah. I'm completely moved. I'm definitely crying. Oh, bless. Hey, but it's beautiful. It's love. That's love. You it's know, love. like I, this is, is, trust me, how many times I've cried on this show. It's, it's that's okay. <laughs> it's beautiful. It's absolutely, it's not even just okay. It's gorgeous. It's beautiful. It's real. It's also, yeah. it's the stuff that moves us. You know, the fact that you can access gratitude truly access gratitude for her freedom for the love for the time for that influence that she has had on your life you know what I mean like when I ask about your childhood and I'm like oh yeah hang out with my grandparents and this and that now I'm imagining this beautiful woman and what how she treated you as a five-year-old or a 10-year-old and oh she was wonderful and one of my earliest memories of her is I this is one of my earliest memories ever. Uh, I remember picking up a pen and my grandmother wrapping her hand around mine and showing me how to write my name. Oh, you know, so it, and she lived right beside me growing up. She was a stone's throw away from my house. So it was, you know, when things got rough with, with my, with my dad at home, I'm like, I would just run down to my grandmother's and my grandmother would, you know, she just loved taking care of us. Oh, I love that. Well, We could talk for about your gram forever, but I just wanted to really honor her and honor you you. and your relationship because of what we were talking about before we started recording and how just wonderful and beautiful what you were sharing was, is, um, and so love is a, I mean, love comes in many forms, right? I, I kind of am curious to hear if you're willing to share the story of how you and your first tandem instructor became husband and wife. (laughs) yeah oh junior this man I love I love him so much so when I started skydiving on my own I was jumping at skydive the farm which was a competition to skydive Georgia at the time and since they have they've merged and now they are one awesome entity here in Georgia but I had maybe 20 or 30 skydives to my name and you know at that point in my skydiving career I'm I'm rocking that navigator 230 and I'm walking into the into the hangar and I see this guy talking to Hans the owner and it looked like junior so I walk up to him like hey is your name junior and he looked at me like I had a third eye like who are you how do I know you and like dude you took me on my first tandem back in 2007 and now here I am pursuing this on my own and and you know thanks for the thanks for what you brought into my life and from that point we would see each other from time to time because Scott of Georgia and Scott at the farm shared the same airport. We just had to be bussed over. So we'd wave to each other. Of course, we ran into, into each other at boogies and stuff like in Sebastian, but then he moved to Dubai to work at Scott of Dubai. 
So I didn't really see him around. We kept in touch on Facebook or whatever, but it was for the world record event in 2015. I think it was 2000. It had to be 2015 with the 164 way. He, and this is when everybody checking in on Facebook was the popular thing to do. So he had checked in to Scott of Chicago with Noah Bonson that, you know, they were attending the world record event. And I sent him a message. I was working as the director of sales and marketing for Velocity Sports Equipment. And I was headed to their Flora Urigallo had just picked me up from the airport. And I saw that Junior had checked in. So I sent him a message like, dude, I'm going to be there in an hour. I'd love to see you come by the tent and let's, let's chat. Let's catch up. He's, he was, you know, competing hardcore. I'm like, I want to hear all about what you have going on. (laughs) And, and when we connected that it was just like time and space stopped. It just stood still. And the connection that we had was, was amazing. And subsequently we, um, I moved to Dubai to be with him in 2016 and to work as an AFF and tandem instructor for Scott of Dubai. And then in 2018, this is my favorite part of our story. Uh, 2018, we were back at Scott of Georgia. I was on current, so I needed to, to do a tandem to get current. He's a tandem examiner. So we go up and do a jump. And he proposed to me <laughs> in uh, under canopy uh, on the nine year anniversary of the day he took me for my first Scott I've at the same drop zone where he had taken me. Oh my God. Yeah. Ugh. It's beautiful. I said 2016. He just walked by. <laughs> he just walked by. 2016. I'm pretty sure I said that. <laughs> you, gotta leave, you, gotta, you gotta leave it to the husbands, you know, the walk by advice. He's so cute. God, if he wasn't so cute. <laughs> <laughs> that is classic. That's, I mean, it's was there any point where you nervous as it, and I'm I'm getting more into the like what what the, the notion of fear right because you can stand on top of the Burj Khalifa you can move through this intense grief and recovery and physical therapy and how, there's got to I mean there's got to be so much more to that physical recovery like we haven't even touched on that the fact that your whole body was broken you know what mm-hmm. I mean and whoa like how and what does it take to get through something like that but so it can sort of appear like you're this fearless person. You know what I mean? Which in my experience, just as a human, as a coach, getting to hear and witness deep personal stories. And again, just being on the show too, we talk about what's real. I can't imagine that is your experience. (laughs) Right. So it makes me wonder like what, what are things, what scares you today? You know what I mean? I want to hear, maybe you can tell us more about what was maybe fearful or what felt fearful in some of those experiences, or you can start with today, but I want to hear more about that part of you, if you're willing. Sure. What scares me? Clowns. (laughs) Clowns scare me. I'm kidding. Uh, I'm not scared of clowns. Um, What scares me in skydiving what scares me the most are the people who allow ego to carelessly drive their decision making. Mm. And also people who claim to be fearless scare the crap out of oh, me. Oh yeah, for sure. So so those are honestly, those are real things that that scare me. And there's a whole explanation behind both of those, but in a nutshell. 
you will say more. What what is the reason? Why do people that who say they're fearless scare you? What's what's the what is the follow on? The people who are claimed to be fearless, I believe, are either are either sociopaths or in complete denial about what the fear process is. Mm-hmm. So I, it is we are divinely wired to feel fear. And it's so funny because fear has this stigma, this negative um, mm-hmm. connotation behind it. Like, oh, you can't be you can't be afraid of anything. We're divinely wired. That is a part of our reptilian brain is to be fearful of things because it's something that ultimately kept us safe. Like, you have a fire at night to try to ward off any beast that's going to come and try to, you know, attack you or you walk down a dark alleyway and, and you're, you know, you see a group of men, it's probably not a good decision. So these things are designed to keep us um, uh, safe, but, but also it's really, we get these same fear responses when we have to stand in front of a group of people. Like we mm-hmm. get on, on a stage and, and we're afraid. Why are we afraid? And like, so, so those that the whole process, um, you know, something that really fascinates me. Um, but, and then the other thing that, that I'm fearful about is again, the ego aspect, people who allow ego to, to help basically carelessly drive their decision-making. Um, and I'll give you another story. I recently was at a drop zone where someone had taken a two-year break from the sport. Mm-hmm. They were coming back, they were getting current. They were adamant about going back and jumping their tiny parachute mm-hmm. on their first jump in and first jump went fine. The second jump they they did, they tried to swoop again after a two year break and they took a helicopter flight to the hospital yeah. um, from that. And, and I, that's something that I see continuously in the sport is, you know, poor decision-making because our ego gets the best of us and that gosh, if I could change anything about skydiving, it would be that taking that three letter word out would reduce so much of the the tragedies and so much of the injuries that we have in our sport. Oh yeah. And it's, uh, it's not even like, it's such a powerful parallel for so many places too. It's like, if, imagine if we removed the ego from the boardroom, right? Imagine if we removed the ego from, I don't know, even just influencing, you know what I mean? Like that's actually something that's very curious and interesting about you is that you are a legitimate influencer on Instagram. You have a large following. What do you put into that? Like why? Cause obviously that is a power in a positive sense, like to have influence, to have hearts and minds watching you caring about what you have to say, looking at what you're sharing, what makes you decide what you're going to put out into the world? Like, do you have pillars that you share? Like what filters that for you such that you, you know what I mean? How are you designing what you are quote influencing around? Yeah. Yeah. So for me, it's the, it's about being authentic. That is it. You see who I am on social media. And that is the most important thing. It's you don't look at my Instagram page and you are bombarded with a bunch of products and me trying to hustle some somebody's crap. It is if you see anything on my social media, it is things that I actually believe in. And that's really important for me to stay grounded to that aspect of, of does this align with my ethos? Is this something that I'm I'm proud of? Is this something that is going to to offer something positive for someone else? Is this a, a safe space, you know, mm-hmm. being able to, to talk about grief or being able to talk about facing fears and not creating this illusion of this fearless girl that, you know, stands on top of the, the world's right. 
building. No, there's a huge responsibility in that. And I, I really try to make all of those points in what you see on my social media presence. Do, do you feel any anxiety about being a public figure? You know what I mean? Like, do you feel like, did you have to work through fear of sharing yourself authentically? Because I feel like for me, that's been a process over time for various reasons. You know, I'm, I used to talk about or used to feel this thing like, oh, God, everyone's going to think I'm so into myself because I'm fucking MelanieGurtis.com or whatever. Right. right? It's kind of annoying. A personal brand, blah, blah, yada, yada, yada. And it, it took me a while to not feel I mean, I still feel a little bit, you know, twingy about it, to be to sure. be honest. But I believe so deeply in what you just said about if I am self-expressed, if I am honest and authentic and true in my right. sharing, in what I show and share and, and contribute to the world, then I'm going to make a positive difference. Because again, this sort of connects to the regrets and it's not like we need to be thinking, what is my legacy or whatever? But it, right. for me, it, it really does circle back to contribution and what helps me sleep at night? What do I feel good about? What feels like a contribution to me? And anyway, so that's why I can get over that, that fear, that anxiety of I'm going to be judged by people as being self-involved and self-centered. Right. right. That's that's one of the fears that is sort of there for me. But I would be curious if you have any of those or anything in the way or do you just feel very, very good about it now? But did you have any fears earlier on? I think that most everybody has a fear of rejection at some point, And that's pretty well what the foundation of what you're saying is. It's this perception that people aren't going to see or they're going to project their, their selves onto what your intentions are and the fear of being misunderstood, maybe. Yeah. So I, I get that. And certainly that's something that I've experienced. And let's just be honest, social media is a it's a doggy dog world and people are just people are just jerks sometimes yeah. on yeah. social media. And, you know, there because I think there's a there's not a whole lot of repercussions if you right. go off and you say something like that on and digitally versus if you were to, you know, potentially act that way in person. Um <laughs> I don't, I mean, I don't know. I'm, I practice nonviolence, but I don't yeah. believe everybody practices nonviolence. Mm, clearly not. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so, so yeah, there's, I mean, it is, it, and it's, and it's awful. You know, we, we grow up and we sing this song, you know, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me. And that's rubbish mm -hmm. because I mean, I think that, that words are some of the most powerful things that we have. And there's something that can make and break people. And, yeah. So I, it is something that I have struggled with and something that it, from time to time, I still do struggle with because I want my message to be clear. I want the the message of perseverance and the, the, I mean, just being able to to face your fears and, and, and I don't know, overcoming challenges. I want that. I want people to understand that that's what I'm about, but still I do find myself questioning captions or I, yeah. I do find myself questioning, like, is this going to be what other people perceive as my intention? And and that's just kind of, uh, it's an interesting, I think that that's a really interesting defect in a way. And let mm -hmm. me explain that. Yeah. I, I find myself sometimes living in this, um, or, or being a part of this illusion of looking at myself from the scope of 
like a third party. Like this is, this is, you know, what I'm assuming people perception is of me. And that's right. a really exhausting totally. place to be because yeah. You never know, right? You you project your own bias onto yourself and that creates so much stress and mm-hmm. so much unnecessary pressure. Where, when has that ever been productive? And mm-hmm. I have to remind myself of that from time to time. Like I'm being ridiculous. My intentions will come through if it's with honesty. Yeah, that I love that. You're sort of that you're speaking almost to the iterative process of, okay, that might come back that that sort of, fear thought or that that unproductive thought will come back but if I remind myself of what I know to be more true which is I trust that when I am authentic that will be felt and received and and that's a that's all I can control and so that's what I'm going to focus and put my energy on I love that I I almost want to I do want to ask this but because you're sharing your experience, which is totally amazing. And I'm curious if you have food for thought for others listening or even advice, like what would you tell people who are afraid to put themselves out there who are like, really like, Oh, I want to, I don't know, write a blog, or I really wish I could start writing my own Instagram posts or do stories or be a public speaker, whatever, whatever. What, I mean, it could be even, you know, it could be the skydiving stuff too, of course, but it, but I mean it more broadly, like even for someone who wanted to open themselves back up to love, like you've had major tragedy in your life and you, you were able to open yourself up in these, this multitude of ways to be in your life and of service to the world in the ways that you are. So I'd wonder how, what would you get, what advice would you give to people wanting to do their version of that? Sure. Um, all the success and the joy in life starts with taking a risk. And that's a risk to be vulnerable and a risk to be authentic. And that was a really hard, difficult lesson for me to learn because I felt like I always had to be in control and I didn't like to make mistakes. And, you know, there's always this element of perfection, but, but I'm human and therefore I'm, imperfect and that's beautiful it's not shameful and i believe that this whole process starts by talking to yourself and treating yourself kindly being able to practice compassion and empathy for yourself and when we do that i believe that we're able to uh, do that with others and I, i was in a yoga class this has been years ago with my favorite yoga instructor her name is nancy nestor She's, uh, she's, she does, she practices in my hometown and she, in one of our meditations, she was talking about the importance of self-care and her analogy was, it's uh, a lot like the airplane safety briefing that you get, you know, if the cabin pressure changes, the oxygen mask will drop down and to put the mask on yourself before you're able to help others. And, and I think that that's a, a beautiful life lesson is to love yourself first, treat yourself with kindness first, treat yourself with compassion first. Mm-hmm. And when we do that, then we can truly see the goodness that exists around us because it changes our mindset. Um, and it also helps us set healthy boundaries on what we will allow for other people to treat us because if we're not treating ourselves that way, the probability is we're not going to allow someone to treat us that way either. And absolutely. And, 
and and never be afraid to love mm. the i think at least from what i have heard and what i've researched and what i've talked about to people as well you know when we get to the end of our days it's very rarely we regret the things that we have done yeah but we regret the things that we have not and and i think that even though love can be something that just shreds us open from a vulnerability standpoint that if we don't allow ourselves to approach love with authentic um vulnerability then it's something that will um i don't know it'll it'll it just won't allow us to have be the fullest expression of ourselves yeah well and you know it's funny i this is a new thing this show this this arm of trust the journey the conscious connection series is basically my interview show jay does one that's called Whip walking each other home that's sort of his interview show because we've been wanting to host people to share and to get this like amazing insight like that you just dropped on everyone which is so wonderful i'm like you know showered with these insights which feels so good because i'm just like yes vulnerability oh don't be afraid to love oh my god I, th- I think it is very important to hear, um, hear those things over and over and over again, sure. whether we are iterating it to ourselves. You know what I mean? My office, sure. my authenticity will come through, but I really do think it's important that I have you here to reiterate the things that I'm like, yes, that's something that has helped me. Yes. Okay. And now people who are listening to this, hopefully will be like, cool, someone else who is a credible source of information is saying, don't be afraid to love. Right. You know what I mean? Like, ooh, I get tingles all over my freaking body saying that type of thing. It's like really real. Yeah. And uh, the vulnerability in that is super, super cool too. And the segue is sort of, I have been trying to dial this show in and like do the, and just, you know, we just talk and I ask questions that I'm curious about and see where it goes. And there's all very organic nature to it. And I have flailed a little bit where not every guest have I asked these questions that I was like, Oh, I'll ask these in every episode. (laughs) And then I promptly forgot the second person that I talked to. So, (laughs) but I would like to ask you, this series of questions, because I think they're kind of fun. And I don't know, I just feel like it's also a useful thing that people who are listening can ask themselves these questions also, and see what comes up. So it's in alignment with our core mission. It's it's like, that's what it's here for, like the vulnerability, honesty, you know, simple joy, love, learning, growing, all those things. And obviously hilarity. (laughs) So... Uh, on the honest and vulnerable side, like what's something that has humbled you recently? Oof. The first thing that comes to my mind is, is the experience that I had with my grandmother. You yeah. know, that's something that, and I know that it's so serious and, and I'm, I'm not always such a serious person. I am always heartfelt, but there's yeah. just, I don't know. It's there's, a serious space sometimes, you know, it's all good. Yeah. But, but, but that being able to be of service to the woman who has literally supported me in every aspect of my life and being able to, to be that for her mm. has, 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 has really given me a different perspective on humanity and on empathy. And it's also reiterated how important it is to live 
the life that you want to mm-hmm. be authentic and, and to stay true to who you are, despite what the world is doing, you know, and it was um as she was going through this transition in her life, she never lost faith one time where I'm like, I'm angry because mm. I'm watching her suffer. I'm watching her go through this because that's my narrow scope of vision. Yeah. But yet her staying faithful to her belief in God and, and where she was going and everything just truly brought me back to my core beliefs and and really just and it humbled me tremendously. Oh, beautiful. Thank you yeah. for sharing that. I mean, and I'm going to keep mo- moving because we could easily talk so much about everything. It's so hard to keep these short, to be honest. <laughs> um, you know, I'm like, oh, I want to ask you too many more things. Um, <laughs> and this is a lighter question, too. It's in the simple joy, like in love. Like, what's something that you are just loving right now or that brings you some simple joy? There's a lot of things that bring me a lot of joy. And and I think you and I resonate like this. We could we could talk about stuff like this all day. And and I've said this kind of already, but this is gonna sound cheesy, but that's okay. My my love for my husband is something that brings me a <laughs> profound sense of joy. Our love is my greatest adventure. Oh. You know, being able to share things with him just adds this. I don't know, this wonderful wholeheartedness to to life and and being around people who you resonate with like that just it just it just makes life, I don't know, so much more enjoyable when you I mean do it. Don't don't get me wrong. I am very independent and I love doing things independently, but yet there's just this level of of um God, what's the word I want to use here? There's just this. I've said wholehearted so many times, but that's, and that's not necessarily the right word, but there's just this, there's just something so wonderful about being able to, to share something like the simple things, the, the daily routines or, or the, the little side glances or anything with someone that you just, that knows you, that yeah. knows you and mm-hmm. loves you despite all of your good and your bad bits, you know? Yeah. So, so that's it. And that's the bravery of, of yeah. showing yourself the bravery right. of being willing to love like that. Like you are mm-hmm. providing an example for people who maybe are like, oh, it's not really possible. You're you're an example of helping that person take that as a possibility for themselves. I love it. I love it. And Junior is awesome. So is awesome. I can corroborate. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So for learning and growing, like what's something that you have learned recently or something that you want to learn? All right. So this is going to sound so funny. Um, I, again, I grew up in the North Georgia mountains. So bluegrass is something that has Ooh. always been a part of my history and my culture. And I picked up the banjo a few months ago and I'm learning how to play the banjo. Wow. Cool. Yeah, I'm terrible at it. I'm absolutely <laughs> horrible. And my fingers hurt like, you, I have never played a, like an instrument like this before. So I had no idea oh my God. at the blisters and the calluses I would get on my fingers, but my God, but it's awesome. It's so cool learning this and how my mind has to shift in like from my normal, from my normal, you know, thinking into, okay, now I'm completely like my right hand's doing something completely different than my left hand. And, and yet <laughs> it's coming together in this harmony. So yeah, 
I love that. The banjo. I, oh my God. <laughs> I, I personally am such a believer in the learning of random things that quote unquote seemingly have no value, right? Like that doesn't really apply to your professional skydiving. I guess you could play the banjo on stage for a keynote and wow the crowd. But, but you know what I mean? Theoretically, it's, it's unconnected to your professional pursuits and this and that. So I'm, I believe strongly in making time for things that were, that theoretically have quote unquote, no value, but that we are called toward, you know, exactly. That's huge. Love it. Can't wait to see you play the banjo. (laughs) Even if you're terrible, I want to see it. (laughs) Okay, so in the realm, in the lane of funny, this is sometimes hard to even think about. I mean, because like you can't it's sometimes tough to pull a funny story out of out of nowhere. So sometimes this question like falls flat and other times people can think of something quickly. But what was the last thing or what's something that like really made you belly laugh? Oh, man, this was just the other day. It, so my whole family obviously has come together. So my mom and her two sisters and my mom's uh, youngest sister, her name is Jinder, her three kids, they are 14, 16 and 21. We were all just we we're at my grandmother's house and the one of the girls brought out her cell phone and was like, I have to show you this filter on Snapchat. And to see the group of us, I mean, we're talking from my grandfather, who's 87 to, you know, the youngest cousin that's 14. Like we are all doing these ridiculous filters. Have you seen the one where it looks like you're like crying hysterically? Oh my God. So there's an app that does that. And the more you look at it, obviously the more you laugh, the more it looks like you were just like hysterically crying. (laughs) And we, so we did that one. And then there was one that turned your face into a baby face and like, it looks legit. Like I, the, my baby face on that filter looked like one of my, my kid pictures, you know? So we were just, wait, that, that was it. Snapchat. That's so I know. And like, who cares? Like I'm now crying again (laughs) from the tears of clarity, (laughs) thinking about using a Snapchat filter or a Insta filter or something with my niece when it put a cherry, like a cherry with a fucking like t- thing. On. It was, I still can't even think about that picture without laughing. It is so, so it. stupid. <laughs> like Isn't it best, wonderful? The best kind of stupid. Oh my God. All right. Perfect. So crying hysterically filter. And what was the other one? The oh, baby, baby face. Baby face. And then there's a baby mustache <laughs> one that we used too, which was just ridiculous. But yeah, love I mean, it. I, and I've not like Snapchat's never been anything that I've looked at. But man, I have not laughed that hard. I literally laughed until I cried. It was so funny. And to watch my mom, it, it, you know, to watch people of that generation in general play with social media just cracks me up. But yeah, it, it was just so heartfelt. It's so healing to laugh. Yeah, it's so healing to laugh, to let go. One of my absolute favorite TED Talks in the entire world is called Why We Laugh. And I am fascinated by the science behind laughter and all of this. And I've been a lover of comedy my entire life. There's a, it's a, I could go on and on about how much I love it and have integrated it into my work and blah, blah, blah. But why I bring that TED Talk up is not even to delve into the science of laughter, but if, if you or anyone else listening is curious, it shares this section of the talk where it shares authentic, real laughter. Like you can tell when someone is laughing for real and when someone is like not laughing for real, they're just trying to, but they're maybe delighted or, but 
you know, trying to enjoy something, but they're not, it's not like, so when she shares these videos that are real laughter, oh my fucking God, there are so many different versions of how people sound when they're laughing. And it just, it just makes me cry, cry laughing every time. So if you need just, you're depressed and you just need a, an uptick, go to that TED Talk, listen to that section where, they ha- where she plays the different versions of people laughing. And I swear there is science behind you automatically are sort of uplifted right. when you laugh, but also when you hear other people laughing, that helps you laugh as well. Right. So it's just fascinating anyway. I'm going to right, give that a final watch question. Yeah. What? I'm going to give that a watch later for sure. I want yeah. to. Yeah. So the last question before we start to close is more of a thoughtful sort of visionary question where like if you could initiate some kind of positive change in the world, you know, like what would your vision be and why? So it doesn't have to be like the be all end all that saves the world and saves humanity. It could be something small and simple, but just what what is something that you would bring you know like what would what do you see as something you could initiate as a positive change like what would that vision be I would love to teach children from the time they start to go to school mindfulness and meditation Mm -hmm. because I believe that that is something that could change the entire dynamics of our social structure yeah you know and it's and and meditation like put the religious aspect of meditation aside Mm -hmm. and and from a, from just a humanity standpoint, it allows us to, 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 it gives us a a wider view of peacefulness Mm -hmm. of how to manage our emotions of having times to contemplate what the the crazy things in our life are to allow us to be centered in, in who we are. And I think that that's something that could fundamentally change us as humanity. Honestly, I agree. I and, absolutely agree. And I also believe in that. I believe that teaching children how to concentrate would be incredibly helpful. I, I work with autistic children. Um, that's something that I, I, I that I do. I'm a registered behavioral technician as Amazing. well as all of these things. And, oh, my gosh. And, and, and you know, when I'm working with these kids and, you know, I'm telling, you know, hear some parents tell them to concentrate. How do you concentrate? I was told how you need to concentrate. I was told that all my life, but there was never anything tangible. Well, okay. You want me to concentrate? I don't understand what, how do I do that? Yeah. How do I do it? So I believe that that's something else that can really change the dynamics of humanity. Absolutely. A hundred percent. I am wildly on board with that as it relates to what the, if we reflect on our education at the the ages we are and the kind of education we got from the various locations. I'm an upstate New Yorker. You're, you know, down in the South, but still it's an American style education, right? That's what you got. Yeah. And none of that stuff, none of that stuff, you know, just, oh, I agree completely anyway. Yeah. Girl, Nicole. Thank you so much. You are so generous. I I think it's, it's really brave, I think, to step into a space where you are asked to really share vulnerably and publicly, you know, like we're, yeah, okay, we're not recording this live, but there is a commitment ahead, a communicated commitment that this is not something we edit. 
This is right. basically live. And I, I just want to acknowledge you for that too. Like, yes, standing on the verge and all of that. And I, that's so wonderful, that powerful thing and something that seemingly is as simple as showing up in a space like this to be committed and in action around your commitment to be authentic and authentically expressed and bravely expressed. That is just beautiful. And I, I honor it. And I'm grateful that you have shared all that you have today. So I just want to say that first. Thank you so much, Mel. And thanks for having space to do that. And for you being authentic to who you are. I, I, I find so much motivation and inspiration in you as a thought leader and as the total badass that you are in skydiving. So thank you. And thank you for your friendship. You, yeah. you enrich my life in, in ways that I simply cannot explain. Um, Ditto. Making me cry you. again. <laughs> <laughs> That's three times I'm crying. In the I, love you. I love you. <laughs> so before awesome. we actually finally close, we want to make sure that people can get in touch with you. Like what is first, is there anything else that we, that you want to share that we haven't covered? If so, by all means, let's talk about it. And then tell us how people can get in touch with you and, and anything else you want to share before we end. I think we've covered everything. So thanks for allowing me to share the space with you. But people can find me at NicoleSmithLudvig.com. You can also find me on basically all the, the main social channels. You can find me on Instagram at NicoleSmithLudvig, on LinkedIn at the same, YouTube at the same. You can find me on Facebook at NicoleSmithLudvigOfficial. And uh, on TikTok, I'm on TikTok. Oh yeah, at TikTok. Nicole Smith Ludwig. Yeah, TikTok's all the rage. I'm yeah. I have an account, but I don't use it, and I keep thinking I should. <laughs> Dude, I have had so much more growth on TikTok in the last four months than I have had on Instagram in the last four years. Wow. So it's it's a serious platform, it's no and joke. I find myself yeah, it's no joke, and I find myself getting lost in in the in the TikTok stuff. I have to limit my time on that platform because yeah. I really love it. I know. Well, I also hear it's really funny, which is why I'm like, I'll probably get sucked yes. in. Like, yeah. It's well, so funny, but it's also, some, I mean, I've learned some really interesting stuff on there, like the most obscure things on TikTok. Like, I think this is so stupid. The most recent thing I saw was a video of, you know, the icy pops, the long icy pops yes. that you have to either rip the edge off yes. with your teeth or you have to get scissors. Did you yes. know if they're like legitimately hard frozen? You can snap them in half and it works. And I've learned that on TikTok and I'm so thankful. It took me 37 years to know how to open one of those properly, but now I can say I know how to open up an icy pop properly. I am ridiculously proud of you. <laughs> Thank you very much. I think that is the so perfect place to that. close. <laughs> Everyone listening, you can break an icy pop if it, <laughs> snap it in it's half. Frozen and hard, snap it in half. No more ruining your teeth or finding a pair of scissors anymore. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, I love you so much. Thank you so love much, you my too. love. Thanks for having me, Mel. <laughs> <laughs>